From socialservice.sg, I'm Jing Yao. This is the Nine Days Podcast, covering the 2020 general election in Singapore. This series, which we have titled, What Can We Learn? We chat with academics and experts to understand the election through more analytical lenses. Today, we have two guests. We are halfway through G 2020 and we therefore have a conversation about Nomination Day, the televised English debate, as well as mid-campaign impressions. Devarajan Devadas is a public policy researcher and historian, and Mohammad Salim Subhan is a political science PhD student in the University of British Columbia. I spoke with the both of them on July 3rd. But, um... You know, maybe for the both of you, could you just tell me your full name, your age, and whether you'll be voting for the first time this year for G2020? I guess I'll start first. Go ahead. So my name is Mohamed Salim Subhan. Um, I'm 28 years old this year. I am a PhD student in the political science department at the University of British Columbia. Uh-huh. This is will not be my first time voting, but... I can't vote in this election since I'm stuck here in Vancouver. Uh huh. And if you were voting, um, which constituency would you be in? Basically? I would be in uh, Chachukang GRC. Okay, so not one of the more hotly contested one, not that no. much. And Dev, um, tell us about yourself, your name, your age, um, whether you'll be voting for the first time. I don't think so. No. Oh, my name is uh, Devarajan Devadas. Uh, I'm 29 this year. Uh, I will not be voting for the first time because I voted. Um, in Canberra when I was overseas in 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, my constituency is Angmokyo GRC. Mm-hmm. Also not a hotly contested one. Yeah, unfortunately not. <clears throat> and to clarify, Canberra, not like, not like Canberra in Singapore, but in Australia, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. I guess the other quick question would be, um, both of you are very keen followers of the, uh, of, of the election, but what is one issue that um, matters most to you? So if I would ask you one issue that matters most to you personally, what would that be? Um, I guess for me, the most important issue is Malay Muslim political representation. Mm-hmm. Because for me, like one way to improve how our government tackles the Malay, quote unquote, Malay issue, um, is by having more varied Malay representation in parliament. Mm-hmm. And by that, what I mean is, it's not enough to have Malay MPs from the PAP only, but there should be more Malay MPs within the opposition as well. So I've been following like the buzz around the new Malay candidates from the PAP and the opposition party, and, and, and the buzz has been going on for like different reasons. Yeah. You see a lot of like criticism of the PAP's uh, new slate. For, for a couple of reasons. And on the flip side, you see a lot of positivity surrounding the new Malay candidates uh, from the opposition. Maybe tell us a bit more about that. So what, um, in brief, um, are the criticisms and you know, what are some of the um, praise in that sense on the other side of the aisle? So I would say for the Malay community, there is this sense of uh, discontent towards the, the, the Malay MPs in, in parliament. Um, and, and you can see this manifested in like how um, there is like a certain kind of criticism against um, two of the new Malay um, candidates uh, for not wearing the hijab or the tudung. Oh, uh-huh. okay. So uh, to me, that is a manifestation of this discontent um, because like uh, Malay MPs from the ruling party are seen as defending government policies. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, I think this is a strategy by the ruling party to have Malay candidates represent all Singaporeans. 
much, right? Mm. Not just the Malay community. But I think it doesn't um, help so much as to have um, like because they are they are they have to be seen to be representing all Singaporeans. Then what about issues which are maybe unique to the community? Mm. You know, that are might not be shared by um, other communities and. And, and that kind of stuff. So it further feeds maybe the sense of disconnect and sense of alienation that some members of the community experience towards the party. Gotcha. And then on the other side of the aisle, so you mentioned that um, there's always going to be a contrast because it's, a, it's an election, right? So what's, what's, the, uh, what's the buzz on the other side? What have you read about um, the other Malay Muslim candidates on the, in the other parties? So um, I would say that the, some of the new opposition Malay candidates, they don't come from the typical high-flying backgrounds. And, and they've kind of been lauded for it. So like Abdul Sharif, uh, Fatli Fauzi, Raisa Khan, Liana Damira, for example, right? Mm-hmm. So they come from varied uh, backgrounds, especially uh, Abdul Sharif. Uh, just a disclaimer, he's a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I might be biased here. But I would say that um, they, 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 with, this, with, with more varied experiences, they can contribute to a more comprehensive understanding of the problems faced by the Malay community and, and help advance the discussion on, on what we call the Malay issues in mm-hmm. Singapore. Gotcha. So, and, and you also see that these opposition Malay candidates, right, they, they kind of differentiate themselves from other candidates in meaningful ways. For example, Fadli was uh, talking on social media, he had a post where he argues that we should move away from a racialized understanding of socioeconomic issues, for example. Mm-hmm. and focus on structural economic issues, which to me is a breath of fresh air after years of listening to like uh, variations of the cultural deficit argument. Yep. So I, I think that's a really, really like these kind of perspectives are needed. And we'll come back to, because come on, I also talk about how you thought um, nomination day panned out, but maybe I'll go to that first in terms of, um, you know, what's one issue which matters most to you personally and how have you been tracking or following that particular issue? Um, well, I suppose one of the things that I've been most passionate about is uh, the issue of access to information. Uh, because what we've seen uh, after the 2011 election is that with a larger number of opposition MPs in Parliament, uh, many questions that were previously not asked are being, were being asked in Parliament. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in the absence of a Freedom of Information Act, the only real way to get an answer on certain questions is to ask the questions in parliament. Uh, so one of the MPs who has been quite at the forefront of asking these questions has been Leon Pereira mm-hmm. of the Workers' Party. So he has asked many questions, uh, among them uh, the issues uh, which is quite important uh, to researchers, for example, is uh, access to archival data. So mm-hmm. he has questioned uh, how much um, information is accessible at the archives to the public and to researchers. So we've gotten an answer for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also pressed the issue of uh, live parliament broadcasts. So I, I guess these things are important to me in a way because when I was in Australia, I noticed the difference in how um, access to government data empowers uh, more informed debate. Whether it's about public policy issues, whether it's about social issues, and um, when there is better and more accurate data, uh, then we, the public is able to make a better comparison on which policy ideas are 
worth considering. So at this at this point of time, we have a situation where uh, the government has a monopoly on many kinds of data, especially sensitive data, mm-hmm. uh, and much of the archives remain closed off. Uh, For example, we do not have access to the cabinet papers of uh, any government after 1965. So, looking at some of these uh, data, I mean, whether it's um, historical data, whether it's current data, will be very useful in making policy debate and even general discussions among the public more informed and uh, better. I guess because both of you talked about that and I'm thinking we are in the fourth day of the general election. We're almost halfway through the campaign. That's how short um, these things are in Singapore. Um, I'm thinking of kind of three things from the first uh, from the first three days, which is nomination day, the debates, and you know, on the third day, we had a party broadcast as well. And maybe this will be a two-part question. The first one would be because each of you talked about respectively the Malay Muslim issue representation and um, and about um, access to information, asking questions. Um, the first question I have would be, what did you make of nomination day in general? And second, in going through the candidates and their manifestos, um, do any of the manifestos stand out to you or do they speak to some of the, some of the issues that you've just pointed out um, that, that, that appeal to you in that regard? Um, what I felt about nom- nomination day in general, uh, it felt like, everyone could have done with more rehearse- rehearsals. <laughs> you know, like when they were coordinating, oh, who stands where and all that. Yeah. They, it, was, it felt very last minute. And, and yeah. you can see with some of the speeches. Um, so, so I guess um, it, um, the, 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 the impact of nomination day was a bit uh, muted. Um, but uh, in particular, like, and, and I guess you were alluding to it, um, I, the highlight of nomination day for me was uh, Fadli's uh, uh, Pantun or, or, or Malay poem, right? Yeah. Um, completely did not expect it. <laughs> and, and I think it was beautiful. Like he opened up with, with that poem. Um, I think it's, 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 it's powerful to, to hear Fadli recite it, right? Uh, because to me, uh, Pantun or, or Malay uh, poems is one of those things that symbolizes Malay culture and, and communicating via that Pantone speaks volumes to me. And, and it, to me, it shows that he has the cultural credentials uh, mm-hmm. of, of some sort. And, and I think this is linked to Malay Muslim representation because um, a lot of the times when you look at uh, Malay MPs, uh, PAP MPs uh, in, in parliament, um, and they, because they're, they're supposed to represent all Singaporeans, right? And, and I talked earlier about this sense of alienation. And there is, I, I feel that there is this uh, desire from the community for um, political candidates from the Malay community who are able to represent uh, the Malay community in more than just policies, also in, you know, in terms of like lifestyle, how they communicate to people, the mm-hmm. kind of language that they use, right? So I think Fali is kind of like setting the tone for how he wants to represent the community. And I think that's great. Mm-hmm. I think that it's really a breath of fresh air. Um, and, and it was really nice to see um, how others um, were kind of responding to him with, the, with their own pantons, because that's kind of how uh, pantone culture is about. Like mm-hmm. uh, someone says uh, one, one poem and then uh, another person replies with, with another poem. And, you know, um, I think that's just that's, that's great. Like, and, and to think that we have, if we can get a 
poet in the in yep, yeah. What would Lee Kuan Yew think? <laughs> it was quite cute too because he posted um, a pantoon from his mom as well, I think. And then there were uh, a few going around on social media as well from the friends. And that was interesting to see also. I mean, I've never seen it before. So that was you know, a lesson for me also, you know. Yeah, it's an interesting form of engagement, I guess, if you want to yeah. put it that way. Mm-hmm. Because oh, when the act of reciting a poem invites a response, mm-hmm. I think that's a really cool, cool way to engage with the community. Got you. And I mean, I guess the bigger question here would be, does the, because he's from the Workers' Party, right? Has, has have, I mean, do they manifesto or speak to any of the issues that you, I mean, maybe not just the Malay Muslim issue, but other issues that you're particularly interested in or stand out to you? Yeah, well, actually, Jinyao, for me, I honestly don't pay too much attention to the manifestos. And I mm-hmm. think the impact of, okay, specifically talking about the content is somewhat overblown. So there is this prevailing notion, right, that politics in Singapore should be debated and discussed based on policies and, and policy platforms. But, and, and um, so manifestos are the way, right, to mm-hmm. find out what the party's platforms are. But how many people will actually take the effort to read the manifestos? And in many cases, you don't really need to read them, right? So if you watch the debates and the online rallies and, uh, and even just like read the newspaper, that's enough because they'll summarize it for you. Mm-hmm. So uh, to me, the opportunity cost of going through all the material in the manifestos to come to a conclusion hardly seems worth the effort. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I'm also talking about this in response to like what I've seen online about people saying, oh, the uh, PSP has uh, a seven page manifesto. To me, what's the big deal? I would say it's not a big deal. And will political parties 100% follow through with the promises made in the manifestos? Unlikely, right? Mm-hmm. So to me, what's more important um, when, when looking in general, looking at the kind of media that is being uh, promoted by political parties uh, in campaigns, is how they are priming voters. And, and that's where I borrow from like studies on electoral politics and public opinion in the States. So priming, just to give a, a definition, has to do with how media coverage on an issue influences public perception of the importance mm-hmm. of that issue. And in turn, that influences the criteria by which the public evaluates the performance of politicians and governments. So there is a growing understanding of um, how electoral campaigns in general influence vote choice, right? So it used mm-hmm. to be that campaigns were seen as inconsequential because people's vote choices are set in stone uh, for whatever reason. But now, more recent studies show that campaigns can fundamentally shape voter decisions. So I think mm-hmm. by, in terms of priming, I, I, I'm quite impressed with how the PAP has been very, very consistent with priming Singaporeans about the pandemic. <laughs> they start mm-hmm. almost every single speech or point by refer- by referencing the greatest crisis Singapore has ever yeah. faced. And I think it's a very effective strategy. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and in the same vein, I think the Workers' Party has been very consistent as well with priming Singaporeans. But mm-hmm. for them, it's about uh, the importance of having an alternative voice in Parliament. Mm-hmm. So of course, the PAP is trying to downplay the importance of, of that uh, kind of uh, narrative by claiming that the NCMP scheme yeah. solves the issue. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I still think it's a, because of how consistent they are in, and how clear they are with the message throughout all of the media that they've been um, creating. I think uh, it is very strong, uh, which is more than what I can say about some of the other parties. <laughs> and it's interesting because someone, it wasn't me who pointed out, but uh, there was a piece in our class notes and they pointed out that even during the circuit breaker, the metaphorical language used by the PAP was tied to the weather. So even in the broadcast yesterday, um, the DPM used the same thing, like we'll weather through the storm together. Like, 
the metaphor is quite clear. So I, I, that's kind of like you describing priming is an interesting way to kind of like give a um, concept to that. So yeah, that, that, that's, that's interesting. So maybe I could go to Dev because I don't know if he agrees with you in terms of the manifestos, um, but you know, up uh, wondering the same question. You know, um, how was nomination day, and then which of the um, manifestos or parties speak to you right now in the, in particular? Well, uh, nomination day, I, I guess um, two things that stood out for me would be, of course, like what uh, Salihin mentioned, uh, the uh, the pantun, the uh, it was quite um, interesting to listen to it because, I mean, uh, I think many non-Malays are not really exposed to that, to, to, to this cultural uh, product on a regular basis. So it was, it was quite interesting that he chose to to express uh, his message to voters via a poem. So it was, it was quite interesting. I think uh, it definitely captured uh, the public's attention, so which was the whole purpose of that short time that is given to uh, nomination day speeches. Mm -hmm. uh, then, of course, for the same reason, uh, I mean, DPM Hing's uh, speech also captured oh, yeah. the public's attention, <laughs> although yeah, for very different reasons. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, well, I mean, uh, of course, it could be just be at that moment that he slipped up, but uh, East Coast plan went viral for. <laughs> For, not really about the plan itself, but but about uh, people just making memes and and and, and uh, forgetting what else he was saying in the rest of his speech, mm -hmm. uh, which was pretty uh, good actually because he, he made some very consistent points, uh, and I also agree that we uh, him that the PAP. Uh, I mean, regardless of how you feel about his policies, they, they are very good at being consistent mm -hmm. uh, in promoting uh, certain policies, especially in their manifestos. Uh, I mean, we look at their manifesto for this year. Uh, it's very simple. Our lives, our jobs, our future. And these are the three things that many Singaporeans in the current pandemic would be most concerned about. Mm -hmm. yeah, their health, their economic future, as well as uh, their, their jobs, the job mm -hmm. market. Um, it certainly speaks to the concerns of especially young Singaporeans, those who have just graduated. Uh, their concern would be jobs uh, in a very uncertain market. So clearly this slogan appeals to them uh, on a surface level. Um, I mean, historically speaking, the PAP has performed well, especially during crisis moments. I mean, the highest ever vote share that it got, 75%, uh, came in 2001, which was yeah. uh, just a few months after the September 11 terrorist attacks. So um, it does appear like the PAP uh, with this storm metaphors and all that is uh, projecting uh, an image of vote for us for a safe haven, yeah. which uh, was what it did in the aftermath of uh, September 11. So. Uh, I'm guessing that it's hoping to repeat this uh, strategy and hopefully get the same result again. Yeah. Um, I mean, with regards to the opposition parties, uh, I mean, the Workers' Party 
also has relatively consistent manifestos. I mean, uh, it's always spoken about uh, public transport. It has spoken about uh, its intention to abolish uh, the GRC system, uh, to revert the presidency back to a ceremonial role, uh, to scrap the GST, minimum wages, so these are all things that uh, it has been pretty consistent about. Uh, but of course, uh, I would say that the one thing that it has been hammering, <laughs> to use that metaphor, uh, consistently in this campaign is its opposition to the NCMP scheme. Um, I think it has arisen because the expanded number of NCMPs in the incoming parliament has uh, led to the PAP's promotion of this narrative that NCMPs alone would be enough to give an alternative voice in parliament. But of course, the Workers' Party, which uh, has the most to lose because it has, in, its, in the previous parliament, it was the only uh, opposition party that had fully elected MPs. So uh, it will not want to give the impression that uh, it, can keep, it can lose the seats that it currently holds uh, in favor of NCMP seats. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why it has been hammering the point that NCMP seats are not a substitute for electing them into parliament for a constituency itself. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, that um, is a good strategy uh, because um, it, to consistently say it uh, is very important uh, because um, there's been a lot of confusion also over how uh, what exactly an NCMP can do? Because uh, in the in the recent reforms, uh, the, the voting rights of NCMPs has been expanded. Yeah. Uh, previously, they were quite uh, much lesser than uh, fully elected MPs. So the the importance of countering the PAP's narrative, the NCMPs are a substitute to fully elected MPs, is uh, one of the biggest uh, uh, importance. I'm sorry. I mean, the most important. Uh, uh, point that the Workers' Party can make because whatever else that it aims to do, which is to, uh, you know, to, to prevent uh, uh, policies from not being debated and all that, uh, it, it's important that the party not just be able to talk in parliament itself, which mm -hmm. NCMPs can do, but to be able to take that discussion outside of parliament. Mm -hmm. Because uh, one of the things that, for example, uh, when the uh, town council system was being introduced in the late 80s, uh, then Deputy Prime Minister Go Chok Tong talked about how uh, constituency groundwork was very crucial for opposition parties to build trust on the ground and to prove that they are able to take on greater responsibilities. So NCMPs, which by their definition do not have any constituencies, would not be able to you know, sink roots yeah. in the ground and to or to have uh, voters to represent. And that will likely neuter much of the things that they say in parliament because they could, the, the PAP could easily uh, disregard their, whatever that they're saying in parliament because, I mean, they the NCMPs, while they can say things, they are not really representing anyone because they, they yeah, kind of lack the sense. popular mandate. Yeah. yeah. 
I guess the we and in the final part we've been talking about the substantive manifestos, the policies, on the strategies. I was wondering, based on what you've seen in the last three days since nomination day, um, what's your evaluation of the um, election campaign so far um, in general? In that sense, including the debates, including the ongoing discourse about various um, the few issues as you mentioned, the NCMP, um, different issues has come up. What's your impression of the campaign so far overall? I think uh, much of the campaign has been uh, a rehash of many old points that have been made. Issues like transparency, uh, ministerial salaries, uh, foreigners taking away Singaporeans' jobs. Yeah. Uh, I think that, well, it's understandable why some of these old issues have come up because uh, for, for, for one reason, perhaps they've not been satisfactorily resolved for some people, so they keep coming up. I mean, yeah. there's a certain group of people that would always be aggrieved at the presence of foreigners working in Singapore. So that issue will always be there. Uh, there's also the perpetual concern over access to CPF funds, so which will concern many uh, people who are at the age where they are should where they think that they should be able to have Retirement, access to most yeah. of funds. Mm -hmm. So that's another concern. Uh, one new concern that I see uh, that uh, Dr. Chisun Joyal of the SDP has made in his party broadcast was the issue of HDB leases. Mm -hmm. uh, because, I mean, he, he made that, that point about how previously it was said that your HDB value, uh, flat values would consistently rise. But after, but in recent years, uh, especially after uh, Mr. Lawrence Wong said that you know that at the end of like nine years, effectively uh, the flats would not have any value to them. So I think this uh, would be of a big concern to people, especially living in the, the oldest HDB estates. So that's another concern, a new, a new concern that has become more uh, pronounced since the last election. About you. So what I thought about the campaign as a whole, yeah, um, I would say it's one of the more accessible campaigns, and that's kind of uh, contradictory given like I'm so far away from home right now. But I say this because um, of the restrictions uh, posed by the pandemic, um, social distancing. Um, a lot of the political parties have decided to like move um, a lot of the content creation and, and like, outreach online, right? So you have all these online uh, so-called rallies, which are really just glorified presentations, uh, PowerPoint presentations or, or like uh, te um, televised speeches, if, if you want to put it that way. Um, and to me, that has made it more accessible. It's easier than ever to get the content from political parties, especially opposition parties. And I also say accessible in another way, which is, um, I feel like the opposition parties are, especially the workers' party, they've dialed up the personal charm mm -hmm. of trying to reach out to uh, voters instead of just like using, uh, leaning on policies and policy platforms. They are, I think there are, there are videos, especially are like really, really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, not just, um, 
in terms of like how uh, how they're they're communicating their message um, and and what they're choosing to say, they're they're not focusing on policies, right? They're focusing on like personal stories. They're uh, focusing on like more abstract, but I feel also more emotive kind mm-hmm. of like um, uh, content, which. I think will will be more of a hit with the younger crowd because maybe they don't have much of um, like um, history of of knowing these political parties in the first place. So it's an easier way to get into like uh, elections in general and like the whole uh, issue of politics in Singapore and what the issues are. So instead of having to grapple with manifestos and party slogans, you know, you have a more easier to digest kind yeah. of format. Which I, which is why to me like is accessible in so many ways, um, and it'll be really interesting to see how all these pens pens up. Um, I mean, obviously the PP would win, but I think the opposition parties are really making them like um, work for that victory. Okay, but do you think? Um, I mean, this is being a little bit of a devil's advocate in the sense of like, yes, it's sleek and yes, it's aesthetically pleasing, and um, some of the parties are especially effective in designing infographics and being on Telegram and all these things. Do you think they? I mean, do we think that they will actually change minds in that sense, or um, is it you know a foregone conclusion as to how someone will vote? And this is really just um, the trinkets on top, and it really doesn't change um, substantively how someone would vote. Well, I would say that it is not inconsequential, like I told you earlier, but the findings from the uh, studies in, in American public opinion and electoral research, campaigns do matter, right? Mm-hmm. And, but, and they matter for different ways. There are all sorts of reasons why uh, certain campaigns work against others. And there's a whole like, lot of discursive kind of research looking into how certain narratives play at certain points in time, you know, to attract uh, certain like feelings and emotions and to and, and, and to mobilize people. Well, in Singapore, we don't really necessarily need to mobilize people. Everyone is, almost everyone is going to vote anyway. Yeah. But I think it's more of getting the message to the voters, uh, not just in terms of content, right? Not just, okay, here, uh, just read, this is our policies, but like, what is the emotional kind of message that the parties are trying to communicate to voters and i think that will be very very consequential especially because like if you uh, understand in the context of how um politics works in singapore if you think about it the pap every uh uh, in between elections right they are basically campaigning all the time yeah with all the policies that they're rolling out, you know, with all the speeches that they have, all the airtime they have in, in the media. Whereas the uh, opposition parties really only turn up um, near election time. And in the rest of the time, their work is kind of hidden in the yeah. background, not really covered by the media, that kind of stuff. So I think this, this new strategy by the opposition, to me, makes a lot of sense because with the limited amount of time they have, they need yeah. to make something out of it. And and also it carries over, as in that's the point. So because you're talking about between whatever audience and engagement they, they accrue right now, I imagine the more strategic ones will continue to use it in between elections, right? We'll hope so. <laughs> we'll hope so, yeah, yeah. And of course, the main platform is, is Parliament where, you know, their work wouldn't be in the shadow, so to speak. Dev, do you have any final thoughts? I think you're, you're muted. <laughs> happens don't worry well, I would say that uh, 
the greater access um, and interactivity that we are seeing in this election uh, is definitely useful because uh, it has fired up some of the younger voters, um, if not uh, out of political interest, but out of just curiosity about what, what's just happening. Because uh, one of the problems that we have in Singapore is uh, voter apathy. Um, it's, it is because of consistently over decades, uh, we have developed the kind of mentality that uh, politics only matters during election campaigns. So we just uh, have this frenzy of uh, political activity for one or two weeks and then uh, everyone goes back to what they were doing beforehand. So, and that has benefited the, the, the PAP in a sense because uh, it's like the, the approach has been, okay, here we present to you our report card during this campaign. Uh, this is what we have done. This is what we propose to do for the next five years. So vote for us based on this report card and then we will not bother you for the next five years. Just let us do our work and then mm -hmm. you do your work. So this was a kind of like a social contract that yeah. has worked for decades. But now things have changed. I mean, uh, like what Sayin mentioned, uh, the... the uh, PAP is now in a situation where it has to consistently sell its policies and yep. not just only during elections. And uh, the opposition parties, which uh, only pop up during campaigns and then vanish instantly after that, uh, are now in, uh, in the public consciousness more than ever. Mm -hmm. uh, because Simply because of uh, online media especially. Uh, and also uh, more avenues for the public to discuss policies on the go. Because pre previously it was uh, mainstream media that set the agenda. If they did not cover a certain thing, then likely that certain issues would only be restricted to maybe coffee shop talk. Yeah. But now you're able to get like-minded people onto online platforms to really discuss issues, things like climate change. Yeah. Which previously did not feature much in election campaigns because our understanding of the environment has been, oh, you know, keep Singapore clean, you know, that's about it. But now uh, questions are being asked about, uh, you know, the uh, fossil fuel divestment, things like uh, the rising sea levels. Well, what do we do is Singapore is a small country which is very vulnerable to such things. Uh, so more issues like this are being discussed. Uh, and I would also say that uh, perhaps because of how, um, on how internet-based the campaign is, uh, there's also a, a, a chance that the issues in around the world, such as the current uh, debates over colonization, things like yeah. race relations, can seep into the local debate. Uh, I mean, the, I mean, Singapore is unique in a way that 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 uh, a lot of the things that that citizens in other countries are able to do are not necessarily applicable to here, but. Uh, there's a chance or that there's an opportunity that that's especially younger voters here would be able to maybe uh, take in some of the ideas that are being expressed in overseas uh, uh, movements to, to kind of see, you know, perhaps we can think about certain uh, policies and sacred cows in Singapore in a different way. I mean, I do not expect to see the any uh, immediate uh, effect in the current election, but perhaps it may change the way that we discuss certain things in Singapore. Yeah. And that's it for this episode. Be sure to check out socialservice.sg 
for more content and you can subscribe to our newsletter at tinyletter.com slash socialservicesg. That's tinyletter.com slash socialservicesg. Thank you very much and see you soon.